got nothing to lose. I'm all in. Working the ends, don't fall in. We've got nothing to lose. We're all in. The time is ours, and we're changing. Amazed, surprised, transformed with no compromise. This is the Game Changing Podcast, where people deserve to win, where magic moments shape our destiny, and where insights from the world's greatest performers in business, sports, and personal development bring you to the edge and change your game. Please welcome your host, Anissa Acker. Howdy, howdy, guys. We're here again today with the Game Changing Podcast. And again, of course, it's me, Anissa, the host. More importantly today, though, we have Rob and Brenda Wright here today, and they own FA Solutions, right? Anything that has solutions in the name sounds like a good outcome is what I'll say. And it's good to be a part of that. So I want to introduce you guys and I want to share so much of their magic. They do things with colleges that, uh, well, I didn't even know existed when I went to college. We won't even talk about how long ago that was. But let me introduce Rob and Brenda. Welcome, guys. Thank you very thank much. You. It's nice to be here. We feel honored. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. And thank you guys for being a part of this. You guys are game changers in the industry of financial services. And I wish to talk as it relates to like kids and colleges and how they get their schooling paid for or how they get the education, right? Because sometimes to get the education, you've got to have the money behind it. And you guys actually have the ability to show people how to get the money behind it because of the schools you work with and everything. Before we get there, though... I'd really like to talk about you guys, right? Because nobody cares about what you're doing until they know who you guys are and what you're doing it for or where you came from or why you even got into this industry. So, Rob, Brenda, one of you guys talk first. I don't care who does because I love both of your guys' magic. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, with mutual agreement. He's the salesperson, so he can go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, really, I've just always been an entrepreneur for one. I I started my career back in 1994 in financial services, so I was selling mortgages, insurance, investments, and things like that. Always had a passion to never have a job. I never really wanted to work for anybody else my entire life. There's nothing wrong with having a job. I believe that we employ, you know, we we employ almost 100 people, so jobs are good. I just didn't want to have one. And it really was mainly because I always wanted to have freedom and flexibility of schedule. Um, not much more than that. Sure, we always had dreams of becoming financially independent as well, but that would have been a, a byproduct of you know having freedom and flexibility. So um, I started back in 94 in financial services, selling the products that I mentioned. Brendan, who she'll, of course, go through her story, has always been in financial aid. She always served colleges and universities as an employee of the financial aid office. Over the course of time, we've been married now for 20, going on 23 years. Over the course of time, yeah. Let's celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrate 23 years. High five to that. In and of itself, it's a business. Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. So over the course of our time together, we just found a way to kind of marry my spirit of being an entrepreneur with Brenda's passion of financial aid services or financial aid processing, financial aid compliance at colleges and universities. And it was back about uh, probably nine or 10 years ago when we came up with the idea and we can get into how that came to fruition a little bit later, but we, we did join forces in starting a company that allowed us to do um, on sort of our own schedule. And I say that with a caveat that it didn't really always work that way, but doing what it is that Brenda loved 
to do as far as helping colleges transform their financial aid department. So that's kind of my little background as far as I've, I've just always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always been an entrepreneur. Haven't had a job since I think I was 18 years old, right out of high school. Ever since then, I've been self-employed. Now, people hearing that might think, well, you're so lucky. No, <laughs> we just were tenacious. We were broke. We were broke for a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> we were broke a lot of years. Yeah, there's, there's good years, there's bad years, there's good years, there's bad years. Then there's great years if you don't quit too early, and that's where we are now. So that's kind of the quick background of myself. But Brenda's, uh, I think her pedigree is much more decorated when it comes to higher education than mine. So please feel free. Yeah. Um, so, yes, um, I actually, myself, have also been working since I've been 15 years old, and I actually have always loved to work. Um, but I um, grew up basically in the higher education world. So um, I started in the financial aid office um, when I was, let's see, back in 1993. And I was actually a work-study student. And since I was an accounting and economics major, I'm like a total geek at heart. But I do love to talk to people. So I did a lot of accounting internships, um, things like that, where um, I they placed me in a room and they said, okay, you're going to work on these documents or whatever, and you're not going to talk to anyone for eight hours. And I thought, this is like the worst job ever. There's no way I can do it. So when I started working in financial aid, I'm like, I get to look at taxes. I get to look at files. I get to talk to people. It's like the best thing ever. And so that's really how I started my career um, is in financial aid. And then from there... I just continued to take job, you know, after job sort of moving up. I was pretty much every job you can think of in financial aid all the way up through, you know, a processor to an assistant director, an associate director, a director. Um, I've been at small private schools, large universities, um, and then I was uh, assistant vice president at some of them. Um, but our issue became him having a lot of freedom and flexibility, whether he was making money or not, sometimes was you know, maybe or maybe not. But for me, I didn't have them that freedom and flexibility. And so it was very frustrating. He'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to Florida for, you know, a week or two and January hang out with my friends in January. And I'm like, well, January is a horrible month in financial aid because we're very busy and I can't go because I have a job. So um, after a while, I'm like, this really isn't fair, right? Like there's got to be something we can do. Um, together. And that's sort of when we started saying there's a lot of need in our industry um, for people that, um, one, um, you know, for uh, uh, jobs, like if somebody leaves the institution, you know, we can do support for them. Uh, call center kind of area um, is always something that like customer service was never really that great at a lot of the schools. So that was something we could bring to the table. And then also uh, we could bring to the table just that back end processing and compliance where a lot of schools really struggle. And that was really my strength was turning schools around um, technology wise and really uh, giving them that uh, background and uh, compliance. So uh, we knew we could do all those things. We were hoping anyway. And that's sort of how we merged together. That's more my background. In yeah, there's a little more. She's, a, she's humble for one and she shouldn't be, but she was really strategic in her job movement that she's talking about. Um, she went through probably four or five different colleges, always looking to get promoted or get a bigger job before she would um, you know, move on. But what was interesting is she was always in tune to the different colleges that were of interest to her. And she'd pay attention to how old is the current financial aid director? How close are they to retirement? And is there any positions available where I can go get a job in the office and then I'll prove myself worthy of getting that director's job or that AVP's job when they do retire. And she did that multiple times. And I think the one that's most, um, you know, 
that I remember the most, I won't mention the name of the school, was a, it was a, a state university in the state that we came from. Um, she had eyed this particular position that she figured if she got into the school now, within a year, I think, or two, that gentleman would retire and she would prove herself and take that job. I believe she got there in April or somewhere around April, May, even maybe it was April or May of that year. And by December, the gentleman decided to retire and she pretty much instantly got the job, which was really, really neat. And then Brenda, other- I love you. <laughs> yeah. You know, another time. <laughs> you know what you want and you go after it, but you also do your research before you chase it. Smart, exactly. smart, yeah. smart. She's very strategic. So, yes. So that, and she's done that multiple times. Another one I won't even get into is really, really interesting and in how we did get to Florida through her. Don't be leaving anything interesting out from this podcast. <laughs> I just okay. heard something interesting. You're like, we'll leave that out. I'm like, not on my channel. Not yeah. when I'm on watch. Please share more. So, okay. So, committed to yeah. Me. So Rob and I are, um, we don't have any children. Our dogs are really our children. So, um, and Rob likes, you know, we, we, we travel a lot. We do a lot of things, right? Like we, we don't stay home a lot of times. So we were actually visiting my family. <clears throat> we were actually in Atlantic City at the time we lived in New Geneva, York, Geneva, uh, New York. And we were in uh, Atlantic City and we're sitting on the bench and we're watching the ocean and we're saying to ourselves, it's freezing, it's freezing cold, like freezing. Ice. And we're like, it's April, mid-April or something. There's like, still ice on the ground. Yeah. We're like, why do we live here? Like we can live anywhere we want. Like why do we live here? Um, and so that weekend we spent a lot of time just kind of asking ourselves why. Like we don't have any children that are going to school that we'd have to move. We have at the time we didn't even have any dogs. So we're like, what is keeping us here? And you know, the answer was nothing. Nothing was keeping us there. Well, we were two where we lived at the time. Actually, I think then it was Albany when we made that decision because we moved right from Albany to Florida. Yeah, yes. Um, we thought about it. For either one of us to go visit our family was a minimum of a two-and-a-half-hour two, hour, two and a half hour trip to my family or a four-and-a-half-hour trip to her family. And from Florida, you can get to either one of them in two hours or two hours and 15 minutes. So it wasn't even yeah. that we'd be leaving our family from a distance or time to travel perspective. Yeah. Just so a different really mode of transportation. Right. Yeah. So the bottom line is we kind of talked about it all weekend and uh, we said, well, let's just do it. There's nothing really keeping us, you know, where we were. And so I got back to the office on Monday. I think I, I had the most amazing boss to um, where I was. And I wrote him a note and said, hey, can I set up a meeting to talk with you? And he calls me in like three seconds. And he says, the only time I ever get an email like that without a subject means you're leaving you know, you're basically quitting and you're going somewhere else or, you know, something major has happened because otherwise you always give a subject and a reason, which I, I learned from him on that because I never really thought about it. So I get to his office. <laughs> My husband and I decided that we're moving to Florida. Um, and so I gave him three months notice, which was great because we weren't le- looking to leave. Like immediately, we just needed a plan to get out. She had no job. Yeah, I didn't have a job yet, which we kind of needed. And he being in financial services would need to reestablish. So we, you know, um, so anyway, in like three months, I, uh, I'm like, okay, now I got to find, I got to find a job, right? What am I, what am I going to do? I, I get paid pretty well. So um, I wrote out, we had like these director listservs in the area and I wrote out to listserv and I said, Hey everybody, um, I just wanted to let you know that I'm moving to Florida and, you know, we're looking to go to the Tampa area. Does anyone know of any jobs open? Like I'm looking for a job like director level or, or higher, you know, let me know. So someone emailed me back who's a director at a different institution and said, Hey, by the way, I sit on the board of a, 
a college that's down in Florida in the Tampa area. And, um, you know, they're looking, they're going to be looking for a director. They have a director, they have an assistant vice president position, but that person's looking for another job. Um, So it would be a really good fit. So he puts me in touch. I fly down to see them. But at the time, the person who was in the position hadn't found another job yet. So they really didn't have a job for me. Um, But they made a job for me because they wanted me to come. So they create this job, send me an offer letter, do all these things. I'm like, great, we're going to Florida. Wasn't quite exactly at the time what I was looking for because I wanted to be at a different level. But it was getting us to where we needed to go. Um, So after I interviewed there, I interviewed like three other places and I got three jobs offers and um, ended up, you know, picking the the position that they had made for me because it was a really good opportunity in the area in the area that we wanted to be in. Uh, The other one was over in Orlando and we really didn't want to be in Orlando. So anyway, uh, we're packing up our house. We're getting ready to move. Um, It was like maybe maybe four weeks before we were ready to move. And I just get this random letter in the mail. It's literally like from the HR department at the school. At the school that she and accepted. And it says, um, you've been promoted to, so my position was not even a director. I don't remember what they called me. But apparently this other guy got a job. So they said, you've been promoted to the associate vice president, um, a financial aid or whatever they call it at the time. I don't remember. Um, and you're getting uh, 10% uh, relocation sense. of my salary for relocation. So they, they, not only did I get the job, but they also moved us. To and Florida. promoted her before she started. <laughs> promoted me before I started. So we always say to this day that that's how you know when things are right, because you know all those things happened, and we we were kind of like, oh, we got to pay to ship our cars and do all these things, and and at the end of the day, they paid for us to move, and and we, we just ran this letter in the mail. It wasn't even like planned, so. I have tears in my eyes, happy tears, because you know the universe. That's how it works. We make it much more complicated. The -hmm. fact that you sat and pondered all weekend what was right for you, we are not responsible to fully fulfill the order. We're responsible to know the direction and take action and let the universe help us fulfill the rest of the order. Mm -hmm. I love (laughs) your story. Thank you, Rob, for bringing it up. And thank you, Brenda, for sharing it and not excluding it because this is an intimate part of the story of why we're here even Mm -hmm. talking today. Because I'm confident had that not happened, we wouldn't even be crossing paths. Right. Because you can't change one thing without changing everything. So thank you for changing one thing that has changed everything. Thank you. We believe that everything does happen for a reason, but you have to be aware and ready to act when things do present themselves like that. And that, I mean, obviously everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out in that case, even better than we thought. So equally what I heard, go go ahead, Brenda. My dad used to always say, um, you know, when opportunity knocks, you know, you need to open the door because a lot of people opportunity knocks and they're like, I don't know. Who I'm not it? sure. <laughs> who is it? You know, look out the people. No, just open the door. Cause a lot of times if you just open the door, like, you know, things, things come in. So. You know what I heard so beautiful about you, Brenda, is you were in all of these colleges, which are educating Right. Mm -hmm. And giving people degrees so that they could be of service to humankind. And what you saw is a gap in what they needed as it relates Mm -hmm. to education and bringing them to the forefront of the 21st century as it relates to back end support 
or financial aid, right? You saw how that full picture, that that play fit together. Whereas because they're there playing with the students and, and moving them forward, you were able to play with them and move them forward, which allows them to take in more students, allows them to step up the game that they play at a college level because you play behind the scenes at that college level. Share how or where you saw that insight because a lot of people not only see the insight, but they fail to take action. You saw the insight, still didn't take action for a while. You got four job offers. To me, that's a sign that maybe I should be doing something with somebody else or differently. If everybody's telling me, yes, I want you, am I undervaluing me? Speak to that, Brenda, because Rob, you already did. That's why we're sitting here talking today. She was undervaluing her, right? And now I'm seeing that equally. And together, and you guys would, are powerhouses. I would say, uh, yes, I definitely um, probably undervalued myself. But I will tell you that for me, I almost 100% always took the job that paid me the less, least amount of money because it was typically the ones that were in the biggest mess. And or had the biggest, uh, you know, they, they needed the most help. And I felt like I could make an impact, right? I never wanted to go work anywhere that I was just going to manage the office, right? I want to transform the office. That's what we want to do. We want to transform the way things happen. We want to make a difference. We want to make the process easier for everyone. We don't want to put red tape in front of everyone and say, you know, you have to go through 50 hurdles to get, you know, financial aid. We want you to be like, I love going to my financial aid office, right? That's what we're here for. So I feel like every time he'd be like, why do you always take the job least amount of money and I'm like but for me it wasn't about the money it's about the impact that you could make you know in the office and then you know two or three years later I'd say I'm looking I want to look for another job because I wanted to move up but I also wanted to go somewhere else now someone can manage it managing it's not fun building it's fun yeah but managing it is not fun yeah I want to interrupt there for a second and that's the part that was sitting not so well with me from a business perspective because I saw her going to, going into these places that needed the most help, like she said, and transforming them to be state-of-the-art for the most part and as efficient as they probably could be. But then she became bored, which I get. <laughs> so she would leave that job. But before she left, she would tell leadership at the college that you need to pay the next person more. And I thought for a second, wait a minute, you're teaching your replacement who's going to just manage your operation. You're, you're, you're teaching the administration they need to pay that person more just to run it. And then you're going to go over here to this next disaster, make more money, but not as much as you should. And it's going to be a mess. And you're going to start from the ground up while somebody else is getting the benefit of something that's a well-oiled machine already. Mm -hmm. So what I was starting to think is how can, obviously she has a passion for what she does for financial aid departments, but how can we turn that passion into something that's a, a business model, but a residual business model? So for example, let's say Brenda goes to work with one of our clients that's innovative a mess and she's able to fix them. But instead of turning that college over to somebody else to run and somebody else to benefit from, we were able to keep that college in house here and have one of our employees manage it while Brenda and team can go on to the next project. And that's what really started us to think about the model. We just didn't know how well it'd be received because we really never heard of companies trying to take this model to market. Now we found out over the course of time, there are some other companies that do it, 
but it's a small small industry, yeah, quite frankly, to do what we do. Mm-hmm. So that's how the idea started, is how can we let Brenda do over and over again, which is fix these other schools, but our family have a long-term benefit in its success. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where we began, I yeah. think, those discussions, plus over a couple of, bottle, of bottles of wine. And so I remember that night. <laughs> and writing on Only napkins. a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Only a couple. Yeah. Napkins and pens. <laughs> and I, and I love this story. You you know now with uh, being a part of the Tony Robbins Platinum Group and stuff, there are three types. I hear it and see it equally. There are three types of people, entrepreneurs, managers, and artists. Brenda, you are an artist through and through. And by taking the most challenging, all you kept doing was fine-tuning your craft, right? If you take something that's already there, you don't feel rewarded because you can't build it. And that's what your craft is. You're a builder. I I just heard you say that. And building it is like your thing, like getting in there with your hands in it. And that's what an artist does. And I love you, Rob, because you and I are the same. I'm all about the ROI. I used to do the build, build, build. And now I do the building and the merging and the acquisitions, but I bring players together now to build. So, man, when you hear it, you're going, why are you doing this? Because you're about ROI. That's where yours is. And she's about results, which is her ROI, but transforming a company. So, hence, brings us to where you guys are now and how you started FA Solutions, right? Let's talk about that marriage of how this idea came together because you kept looking for a new job to grow and you kept going, this is insane. Yeah, I mean, um, this was back in, I think it was 2009 or 10, when we were start, starting to put the kind of pencil to paper. And, you know, again, we didn't know how well the idea would be received by colleges and universities, but we thought we'd give it a shot. Um, we did have some other people that helped us in the beginning, and they started to do some initial, I'll say marketing, but it really wasn't marketing per se. It was just talking to schools who may be interested in at least hearing about our solution. And um, the first two schools that were approached were really just feelers for us to see how the message would be received. And what we didn't realize and what we really weren't planning on was those two same colleges saying, yes, we'd like to sign up for a company and an idea that didn't exist yet. And they were larger than our ideal client base goal was. That's the universe supporting you guys. I love you, universe. (laughs) Yeah, but it was that's not really all the roses because that's where we learned our biggest lessons is, um, you know, these were two very, very large schools. And remember, our idea was new. Our idea was young. Our infrastructure was just beginning to be built. But all of a sudden we had to deliver at levels that, I mean, would be for a company that's been around for 10 years. And we do not believe in failing. You have to do whatever it takes to get the job done no matter what. And that was the difficult part uh, the first couple of years of the company is, is, I guess living while you're struggling so much, trying to keep up with the workload. Um, and that was the, I think that was probably the most damaging part, the difficult part for us. Um, but what we learned quickly is that we want to be more selective on who we market to because A, we don't want to say no, but we also don't want to say yes to things that aren't a perfect fit for this school or for our company. We figured if we could really identify the opportune market, the ideal client the ideal client from Tony Robbins mm-hmm. then everybody could actually feel good everybody could have benefit everybody could mutually you know have a you know great relationship so we learned really quickly what schools we wanted to not focus on and it really had to do with the size of the schools uh, now this evolved over the course of time but the size of the school 
or our model at that point was complete backend processing or almost complete outsourcing. And when you become the complete outsourced company for a massive school or, or anyone, yeah, or anyone, as a vendor. but especially at the bigger schools, I mean, they don't even have time to wait for results. They must get results immediately. And those results have to be right. So we just weren't prepared for the, the workload. Um, it was literally, it was pretty much a 24 hour a day operation for our team, for us, as long as we could, you know, you know, stay awake. And we learned that the revenue, although it was huge, only looked good on paper. It didn't feel good. We were exhausted. We were wiped out. And the margins were much lower. Margins were tiny. The fires were big. The demands were high. So again, we learned that that's not really the model that we wanted to approach. We'd rather go for these smaller schools who have the same compliance needs as the big schools. They all fall under the same federal regulations. But because they're smaller, they don't often have the resources to hire their own highly experienced people. So instead of trying to hire your own highly experienced people, these small schools hire inexperienced people because they can afford them. But those inexperienced people put the school and the well, the school at risk for one of you know compliance risks, Department of Ed fines, losing their Title IV financial aid eligibility. That's number one. But a student risk, I'll say, on behalf of the school because. If the process isn't happening right for the student, they become disgruntled, they complain on social media, or they quit that college and go to another school altogether. So we figured if we could put together a model that supported these small to medium-sized schools, we could give them brains like a Brenda Wright that they could never afford, almost for pennies on the dollar, because a school of three or 400 students or 1,000 students doesn't take 40 hours a week for people like Brenda. It just doesn't. So we came up with a shared model that we could offer to small schools, giving them the resources they could never afford for pennies on the dollar. And again, we didn't know at that time how large the market was. We just knew we had to present it. And there was a time, you know, fairly early in our in our business, I would say about a year in, where we were starting to really struggle financially. We had clients, we had employees, we had invoicing, we had payments, but the payments didn't always come in timely. So we were dipping into our reserves to pay our bills. And this is where it got kind of spiritual and very emotional for us about a year or so into the company is um, if all of our clients paid us on time, we had enough to cover all of our payroll. But that's a good theory. It's hypothetically nice. It's just not factual. They just don't pay you on time. And that's, I get it. But we got to the point where we're, I was really struggling financially trying to figure out how not to fail well, Brenda was struggling um, from a workload, trying how to trying to figure out how to succeed when you can't sleep. So we lived on a boat at the time. I think I shared this with you. We we sold our house. We cashed in our four hundred one k's. We, we cashed moved, out everything. Cashed out every single thing that we had. Yeah. We moved down to the yeah. boat to keep our personal expenses as low as possible, so we could put every penny we had into our employees, into our company, keeping everything afloat. It's important the, the audience listening knows, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's important that the audience knows listening. Uh, Again, we're sitting here chatting because you guys were all in. You sold everything and moved onto your boat because you were all in, yeah. all mm-hmm. in. So yeah. keep proceeding. Yeah, there yeah. was no out. You had burned your no boats, out. as Tony says. Yeah, yeah. no out. <laughs> yeah, there was no, there was no plan B. We had, no, we had no other savings except what we just told you about. Yeah. Um, we certainly couldn't go to our family. They do fine, but they're not well to do by any means. We couldn't go to a bank because we were a new company operating at a loss. No bank's going to lend you any money. Um, so the only place I could turn, and I did this every single night for the most part on the bow of my boat when Brenda would finally collapse, I would just go on the bow of the boat and I would look up to the sky 
and this is no joke, I would just say, dear God, I promise if you help us sur- survive until we succeed, we'll be generous with our success. I said, dear God, I promise you, if you help us survive until we succeed, we'll be generous with our success. And at that time, we had a $0 marketing budget and no salesperson. But our phone began to ring. So colleges began to call us out of the blue. I don't have any idea how they got our number. But I can tell you every single one of the first dozen or so schools that began calling were faith-based colleges, Bible schools, Bible colleges, theological unions, Christian colleges, Baptist colleges, evangelical evangelical colleges. I have goosebumps right now thinking about it. I'm crying. My soul feels so happy. Feels so happy. Yeah. So... Literally from that point in time, I think this was May of 14 or May of 15, we had exhausted every penny we had. But on paper, we began to look good enough to a bank where they offered us a very small line of credit to help us float for a little while. And so I thought we made it. We got it. We arrived. As long as, every, as, long as almost everybody pays us on time, we're good. <laughs> and they don't. So we burnt through the hundred thousand. Well, the, the line of credit was a hundred thousand. We had no more savings left. Left. It was a Tuesday afternoon. We had seven thousand dollars in my bank account. Payroll due on Thursday for I think twenty six or twenty seven thousand. I have two days to figure it out. No place to turn except for one of the emergency loan brokers. Um, loan shark. So, yeah, almost like a loan shark. Legitimate, but <laughs> yeah. loan shark. So I called them up. I says we need twenty six thousand. I think to cover payroll. They said no problem. You're approved. We just need to see your accounts receivable report to validate that your revenue is supposed to be enough to support the loan. So I said, okay, I sent it to them. And that was on, like I said, on Tuesday afternoon, they said, you're approved of the 26,000. So I'm like, I can make payroll Thursday. But they said the terms of the loan are, you have to pay it back every day through, I think it's called through ACH transaction, EFT transaction. They're gonna reach in, they're gonna take a daily payment out of our account. And the whole thing had to be paid off in four months. So we're gonna take a 20, some thousand dollar loan had to pay it off in four months, but the total payable was 30, I think it was 37,000. So borrowed 24 or 25, have to pay back 30 or 37 in four months. And I can't even make payroll in two days. Who on earth would sign up for that loan? <laughs> Somebody who had no other choice. Yeah, We had no other choice. We yeah. had payroll in two days. Yeah. So we did. We took the loan and literally because simultaneously, as I mentioned, the phone had begun to ring and Brenda also got a, a pretty nice consulting um contract for our company that was in may of 2000 like i said 14 or 15 between may of that year and october of that year we paid off the hundred thousand dollar line of credit we paid off the emergency loan shark loan and to this day now we've never been in debt i think yeah seven years later we have not owed a penny of money to any creditor at all so we're 100 percent debt-free company that year that we were struggling we did about four hundred thousand, i think in revenue now we have Five million of annual recurring revenue coming in every single year as we keep growing. So again, I credit it to God because we've really never had a sales team. We've had a salesperson at times um, who also helped with customer service and everything else, but never a, a sales team. So I have to credit that all to something much, much bigger than we are. Uh, but it worked. It worked out well, and we're in the process right now of actually hiring a sales team. So it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, and you're in the process of hiring a sales team. If we can briefly just chat on it, why? Yeah, well, we're at a point now where Brenda has hired, and, and she may see this this uh, this podcast, and that's more than fine. About three years ago, when Brenda was literally not, well, she was burnt basically out. Basically having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, basically having a nervous, three and a half years ago. Yeah. 
just there was just too much work for her. So when we we're finally starting to make money, and Brenda says, I need to hire, she needs to hire her replacement. And I'm like, well, what would that person's title be? Because I wouldn't even know what that person would be called. And she said something like a VP of operations and financial aid. And I'm like, well, how much do they make? She said, you got to pay them probably a hundred, well, probably in the six figure range. Like, oh, we just started making money. We have to give it away. And when I looked at her face, I mean, there was no, no choice. We had to make this hire. And the year that we hired this, this person, yes, it was more than we wanted to spend. Our business grew by a million dollars, another million, I should say. So replacing yourself is a key. It's not an expense. It's an investment that typically has a great positive return if you hire the right person. So we did that with Brenda's role. We then struggled from a technical perspective. We had a small, small, inexperienced technical team, but we really needed to have somebody come in who really understood IT and tech support and um, software and all those things. So um, this next big hire was one that we couldn't afford either, but we did it anyway. And it completely, again, relieved us from everything technical that was on our plates to worry and about. He, then, and him, he was an interesting story too, because his, his uh, company was, or his school was dissolving mm -hmm. or the company was dissolving and he was just looking for something to do. So we hired him to consult for a little while and then we brought him on full time. So we, we probably would have never found him either had it not been for, um, I think you had some, some kind of conversations yeah. with that school before, but anyway, like, I mean, I don't even know how we would have found him. He just kind of showed up and he's, uh, he's like that too. Like everything happens for a reason. Yeah, so yeah. we have like a great culture of, of that. Yeah. So, so our, our, our company has basically what I'll call three divisions. It has obviously operations, IT, and then it has sales and finance. I've handled sales and finance since the inception of the company and I have passion for parts of it, but it's become now that we're a much larger company. The role isn't just, you know, talking with prospective customers, closing deals, finding solutions and things like that. Now it's, you can try to do that, but you also have to meet with an attorney, a banker, a lawyer, a CPA, and, you know, times three, like every three days or whatever. And it's just like, those things exhaust me. That's not what I love to do. And it's made it so that I couldn't do successfully the things that we need to keep doing if we're going to grow the company now to, you know, 8 million, 9 million, 10 million, 15 million. So we're at the point now where this, I'm the last missing link. I'm now the, the bottleneck. I'm actually slowing some processes yeah. down for our company when it comes to sales. So the next move, which we're doing right now, I just did the final interview today, actually made the offer today and the person accepted the job, is um, we hired an executive VP for sales and revenue management. Mm -hmm. And that person is going to be in charge of absolutely everything from a new customer acquisition, marketing, uh, contracting, pricing structures. All of that is now going to be completely taken off of my plate. Um, so I think this is going to be, this is what's going to, I think, I don't want to say breathe life because we don't have, we, we have a lot of life in our company, but I'm going to feel better. I've watched her now. She's been practically retired for the past couple of years. I'm thinking, how do I get that job? I finally want a job. That one. No, I can't. Um, but Rob, that's it sounds really like you're a little slow. She's been doing it for a couple of years. You taught her well. She apparently exactly. learns fast. You need to follow suit quicker. Well, I will tell you, you know, just as a sidebar, one of the things that a couple of years ago, or maybe like two and a half years ago now, um, with my new hire, um, I was kind of like in it every day. You know how you're in it every day, and um, and I and I I was in it every day, and I was like, you know, communicating back and forth with her. Like, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? And then I one night we're having dinner or something, and I said, you know, if that were me, um, I would be to my boss like, get off my back and let me do my thing, or you don't need me here. 
right? And and I did need her there. And so I thought to myself, you know, one of our one-on-ones, I just said to her, look, like, I'm, I, I just need you to know when you need me. I will help you do whatever you need me to do. Um, or I'll help you, like, when you, when you need advice, when you need this, when you need that. But I'm going to back off. Like, I want you to run your organization. Like, I would want to run my organization, right, when, if I came in off the street. Um, and I just need to know when you need my help. Otherwise, I'm not going to meddle in your everyday operation. Um, and that's really when I took a step back. So now, what do we get now? It's mainly like fires, you know, like things that really need attention. Yeah. But I don't have to do the day-to-day stuff. And I stay out of it on purpose because I feel like if you hire the right people, you need to hire them and step away. You need to allow and empower them, to them. Do and empower them to do their job. Yeah. So, and I wasn't doing that the first time because I'm I was so used to working, you know, in it every day that it was hard for me, you know, because she was learning to just step back and say, you know what, when I came in off the street from somewhere into a school, I had to learn for myself, and I I felt like um, as soon as I stepped back, she took over, and that was that. Yeah, and this so, person was highly experienced, just not in our company. So that's yeah, what she had to yeah. learn is our processes, yeah. our culture. She was. Fully educated with but, Title Four and higher ed, financial aid, and everything else. But what I'm saying is, I think we try to hire people, mm-hmm. and then we try to control what they're doing, or think that you know they need to get from A to Z the same way that you did. No, as long as they get from A to Z, and you know your culture and everything is great, then let them do what they do best, mm-hmm. you know, and step away. Because and that was like a huge lesson I think for me, and that's why I keep saying to him, when you hire this person, you are going to have to let go. And I think that's going to be hard for me. I'm so ready. He's like, I'm ready. <laughs> so I wonder what at that moment, and thank you, Brenda, for being awake enough. Because I'm like you. If someone hires me to do what I do, allow me to do it. If I need help, I'm going to come to you. Yes. But allow me to do it. It doesn't mean I'm going to take the direct channel that you did. As long as the outcome's the same, though, does it really matter? Does it really matter as long as we're, get, you know, and for you to be awake enough to go, wait a minute here. Huh. I would, this would drive me crazy, you know, and to realize that that takes a a strong leader to step aside and allow the others to grace that space. So kudos to you. Kudos to you. And Rob, you're just at the beginning of a kudos to you because you're, you're an entrepreneur, so you're always going to be involved in something, honey. Let me just break the news to you now. That's me. I'm always, I'm like, someone needs a solution. I have it. Yes. Yeah. That's why we like each other. I'm like, this is, I can, I like to figure out what nobody else can because I know everything is possible just because they haven't found it possible. I'm no, I'm possible and I'm always going to find a solution. So you're always going to be in it. So just beware mm-hmm. when you step aside here, you'll, something's going to go ding, 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 like a sonar for you. Who knows what it will be? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> FYI too. I'm okay with going a little over if you are. Yeah, we can go to 3.30 if you'd like. Perfect. I, I just, well, let's bring it forward, right? Because you guys are, uh, what I really want to do a little bit too, if we can just back up. You guys are together. You've been together for 23 years, but we didn't share how you met, what brought the community together, right? How you guys decided to play together because one's an entrepreneur, one's an artist, yet the marriage worked. As you guys have already said, the struggles inside of the business and the fact that your marriage has stayed intact 
is in and of itself something that needs to be celebrated because many marriages will crash and burn inside of that. And yours is still intact and happy. And you guys are both smiling and you, I see, as you guys know, I see energy. So I see a lot and I see just beautiful community here. So let's back up on how you guys got together. What, College before college. I mean, you guys only look twenty three. Huh. Yeah. Well, he didn't go to college, so <laughs> um, no. Actually, actually uh, he just on. showed up for the parties. <laughs> no, was, actually, I'm telling you, I, I'm okay. going to back up though. Yeah, I okay. did go to college. I was back yeah. up on that. So um, when I so when I first left college, I was actually engaged to someone who lived in Rochester. You know that. What? Um, <laughs> and, um, I think, that, you know, I was uh, at a point where I, you know, left school, I graduated, um, and I got a job in financial aid, and this person um, was still in school for another year. And so, of course, me working and, you know, working all the time, because obviously, that's what you like to work, was. I heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so and him, you know, going to school, just obviously wasn't working out. So pretty much we just grew apart. And um, we actually met through, uh, Rob and I met through a mutual friend, actually someone that I had hired uh, to work in my office in financial aid at one of the schools I was at. So um, that's actually a really interesting story. Um, Just in general, I went to the school at 21 years old, right after college. And I had been working in financial aid like three and a half years. And they hire me. There's the assistant director and associate director, or assistant director and director left within like two weeks of each other. There hadn't been anyone in the office from August to October, except for this consultant they had brought in. And I get there, I'm 21 basically. I walk into the office, every single file folder was on the floor, like out of the cupboard, like out of the, the shelves and on the floor, like sitting there. And the phone's ringing off the hook. And I say, why are all the files on the floor? And they said, well, that's everyone who's called. And I'm like, well, if every person has called, put them all back in the file cabinets, alphabetical order. So if they call back, we can find them. So that was like my first day on the job. And that it was, you know, and, and that's kind of where I started transforming offices. So you're like, a little crazy is what I'm hearing, Brenda. From the time I walked in. But anyway, I ended up being able to hire a staff there because there was no one in the office. And I ended up hiring this girl who um, worked part time with Rob in the financial services. Yeah, I actually want to back up a little bit. Okay. The story about me not going to college is true. I never (laughs) wanted to go to college because I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. I just knew I was going to do something big. Didn't know what. But that was at 18 years old. And by the time I think I was 22 or 23, I'm like, okay, well, I haven't found anything yet. Plus, I'm not meeting any girls. So where can I meet (laughs) girls? I guess if I go to college. So I signed up for signed up for a business law class and a real estate class, thinking, "Hey, I can meet some babes there." Uh, and I'm a shy, introverted guy, but at least I would be in a classroom and maybe meet somebody. So I took these two classes and I didn't meet any girls. None. I was too quiet. But I met a guy named Nick, who introduced me to a guy named Ed, who introduced me to a guy named Wayne, who introduced me to a girl named Pam, who worked for Brenda. <laughs> Yeah. So if I didn't go to college, I wouldn't be in this business or be married to Brenda. So, yes, after she started, um, she actually worked part time at a a restaurant uh, down the street that I actually worked out as well because I made like $18,000 a year at my job and it wasn't enough to pay 
my car payment, my student loan and my work and my rent. Right. So I worked all day and then worked at this restaurant all night um, where she worked. So anyway, she says to me one day, uh, asked me like about a boyfriend or whatever. And I said, oh, yeah, I was engaged. And she said, oh, that's such a shame because I know this guy that if uh, she said, I know this guy and you would totally marry him. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm like 22 or something. And I'm like, that's like the most ridiculous thing I heard. So one day we all go out, whatever, and didn't even really kind of like hung out, but we were, it wasn't like we were like boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. No, just not, yeah. So anyway, my uh, fast forward to like May, my fiance and I said, you know, May or June, I can't remember. I think it was the end of May. Yeah. May, yeah. And we decided to split. And um, I went to Las Vegas with my parents like I do every Memorial Day. And when I got back, it was my birthday. So he's like the smart one who calls me up and says, oh, by the way, like, because now I'm in a town. I was in like Cuca, New York. Like all my family's in Pennsylvania. I didn't really know anybody there. I didn't have any other family. So he says, I'll take you to dinner for your birthday. And I'm like, oh, cool. For dinner on my birthday, I'll go. And I don't think we've been apart since. No, yeah. we literally haven't been apart since. Other than travel yeah. for family or for whatever, we have yeah. not been apart yeah. since that day. Yeah. So that's like, so I don't know. We went out to dinner and it was great and we hung out ever since. Yeah. But working together, a lot of people do ask us, you know, how on earth do you do that? How can you be married and work together? Honestly, that's, I don't want to say that's been the least of our struggles because we haven't had a lot of struggles, but we've never had a struggle working together. Well, I shouldn't say that. There was one time I won't get into it here. Different situations. <laughs> I had, when I was in financial services, Brenda said, you know, you really need an assistant. Why don't I quit my job and I'll come help you? So I'm like, okay. So she quits her job, shows up to the office that morning. I said, hey, would you mind copying these? I'm like, you're just like, copying I'm yourself. Copying I'm like smarter than that. I'm like, she just quit her job to do this job and she won't do this job. Now I have to hire someone to do the job and she doesn't have it. I was like, you can copy that. <laughs> Hey, I was like, I'm worth more than that. Like, I don't <laughs> Yeah. So that was that was very it was funny. That was a long time ago. But that anyway, I think the the advice that I typically give people, because a lot of people ask about that, is I always say to people that you really have to find and marry your best friend. Like if you if you hung out with your best friend all the time or, you know, talked with them or had struggles or vacation or do all kinds of things, um, you I think as best friends, you have better communication, you have better understanding of each other. And I just feel like we've always been best friends. Like we've just, whatever it is, we talk through it and we work through it and we move on. Like mm-hmm. we just, and and so much of our life has been business that, you know, there's a lot of times he's like, I'm selling it. And I'm like, well, we can't do that in operations. I mean, and it's, it's, it was our life. Like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we like, don't know. Well, if you had so, to do it, how would you do it? And they'd figure it out. So I'd sell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just really feel like people need to find uh, someone who they love to hang out with and they love to be around, whether, you know, you think it's your husband or, or your friend or whatever, just like think about like really wanting to be with someone or really want to hang out. Like we kind of laugh about it. My parents are the same way. Like my parents go everywhere together, the grocery store or whatever. We do the same thing. It's like, I'm going to go get the mail at the office. And I'm like, oh, I'll go with you. And we, we're like, just, like, we just go. It's kind of. I don't know why. Like, yeah, so when it comes to working together, though, this is what was easy for us, I, I think, and it may resonate with some other people out there, is that Brenda's always been in charge of operations. I don't know how to do what she does. Mm-hmm. I can't even get in that lane. Why would I do that? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. 
I've always been in sales and marketing. She would never even want to enter my lane. Now we could cross lanes, but we don't. It doesn't make any sense. What would we do? We don't want to be there. So we've always had different roles. And that's really, I think, what has made it easier. We never have a conflict other than, like she said, if I bring a potential deal in that doesn't appear to be you know, workable in the operation side, we would have to get work through that. But um, that's probably the only issue mm-hmm. I could think of. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, we each have our own role. It's like any other company. Yeah. In any other company, everybody has their space of play, right? Baseball field, everybody has their position to win the game. And if you step on, can you play the game? Yes. Do you understand all the positions? Yes. But which position you play in best is where you should stay. And you guys have done that. So that's what's beautiful. And that equally, though, has brought you guys forward now to a space where you're growing and you're replacing yourselves and you're hiring and you're hiring a sales team and because you've learned to play together daily, personally and professionally, it allows you guys to be able to serve so many more people mm-hmm. uh, from all aspects of life, even whether it be an entrepreneur or an artist that you bring into your company that serves people at the college level, right? That's all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for so, sure. I mean, we got married young. I mean, I was 24 and he was 28. So, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, people just, they bail out a little too soon. I really feel like you you need to, I don't know, you just need to figure it out. You need to work it out. I mean, not always. I'm not saying that the right answer is always staying with someone, but I do think we went through a lot of struggles, but that's who makes us who we are today. We went through it together. Yeah, but I mean, we could have been like, I could have been like, forget it. You're not making any money, and I'm making money. And like, I, you know, I can go get a job anywhere. I'd be like, whatever, I'm getting rich someday. (laughs) You're going to give up on this? (laughs) (laughs) Just like an entrepreneur would say, you're going to give up on this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Rob, as well as I do, you've heard it said before, the people that make the most money in the world are not the entrepreneurs. We tend to lose more money in the world. It's the artists that make more money in the world than anybody. So Brenda needs to say, what, you're going to give up on this? Well, the funny thing is, we are making all of our money in her business. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, so he he didn't do any of the other businesses really he used to. It's now I always say, but but yeah, but it's my business. Like it's your industry. It's our industry. It's yeah. Definitely your it's and now it's your by coming together, look what it's done though. It went from you having a job to you being a struggling entrepreneur to you having a company that now employs people to do the same craft that you're doing because you guys became stronger together better than you were separate, even though you were in unity together in your marriage. So you guys have opened up a whole platform for that next generation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's also been interesting uh, for us. We would always say, why do companies have like such big handbooks, like employee handbooks? And why do they have all these rules you know, when you work somewhere. And when we had 11 employees, like, we didn't have any of that. Our manual was like this. Our manual was like this big, but now we have, you know, 85 employees and our manual keeps growing every year. (laughs) So there's so many things that you learn as you grow um, and you don't really know that you need or you don't really understand why other people have them until you learn the hard way and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. Until you experience life. And life is always about growing. And let's, obviously, I know you guys are, 
guys, they're they just moved back into their house like a week ago. I think you guys said they've been living on a boat again. Can you believe that? Living on a boat again. Yeah, an RV this time. An RV. This one's on wheels. The other one was on water. This one's on wheels. So let's talk about that just very briefly because you just got back into your house. We got seven minutes to wrap it up because you guys got to get stuff for the people tomorrow. But man, I could talk on and on. So we may have to have you guys back for a second round of this because I know there's a lot going on with you guys. If you're rehiring your replacement, let's be honest, there's more to the story, right? So Mm -hmm. what we'll do is we'll just keep the audience waiting and tell them when we'll come back for that later. But let's share, let's give a wrap up of something that the audience, like you guys have been together for 23 years. You've been doing business together. I think you said since 2006. Is that right? 2006? 2009. And 2009. Okay. I turned the six upside down. Okay. Yeah. So when you, let's give the audience a final message, something that you say, man, if I only got them to hear one thing from me, it'd be this. I probably have three or four things. I'll go quick. Is that a work? Cause I have no, take your two- time. You can go quick, but take your time too. Yeah, there's really two different audiences. One of them, if you know, if there's anybody on here that maybe owns or works in a college, we understand your pain. Um, you know, the biggest thing that we're seeing most schools face today, most colleges face today, is staff turnover. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon in the financial aid department. There's a tremendous number of highly qualified financial aid directors or associate directors who are of retirement age, and they're out. They're tired. And there's not not a lot of new people who also have experience that want to take on that responsibility. The job is not what it used to be, which has been good for us. It creates a big opportunity. But what we see a lot of colleges do, small, medium, or large, is they try to have one person wear too many hats. They try to have one person be the person who does all the packaging or awarding for the students. And that same person has to respond to phone calls and emails to students when they they call in or stop in, or they have to meet with families face-to-face if they show up at the door. And when you have that one person carrying that full load, what happens is processes get broken. So, for example, if the person only processed financial aid, they could get it done probably accurately and probably timely. And if they got it done timely, less students would call in, less students would walk in for support because they're aid would be packaged and received, they wouldn't have any questions about it. So what we did in our company is we... we or less questions. Yeah, or less questions. Is we, we, in our company, we, we basically have three different departments. A team that does nothing but packages aid for students. A team that does audit of those files. And a separate team that actually does correspondence and engagement with students. So neither one of these three departments or these three people, if I can call them that, ever really get interrupted from their task. So if you're a college out there and you're thinking that your financial aid person or your financial aid people really can be successful wearing all of those hats, if you have a super, super strong one who's super smart, who's been doing this for a long time, and who's willing to almost burn themselves out, you're probably right. But if you don't have that person, please know that there's more more efficient ways to get the job done. This is not a pitch from FA Solutions. This is just telling you that if you need to find a way to let people wear less hats, and focus on the task at hand. Your students will be better served. Your employees will be less burnt out. The other option, of course, is a, is explore a partner that helps you relieve either some of those burdens, maybe somebody who does just the packaging for your students. So your financial aid team at the college can meet with the students and spend all the time they need to with them. 
or if you have your your staff that wants to meet with the students but they can't do all the packaging, consider finding a partner for that. There's several firms out there like us, but just please don't think that your staff can handle it all. We tried to handle it all ourselves. Brenda's tried to handle it all at different colleges. It won't work long term. And when you have a really, 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 really good person, understand that if you don't treat them well, they're out. They can pretty much write their own ticket at any, any major college and university nowadays because the vacancy rate's going so, you know, going through the roof. That's number one. So that's for our college friends. For our business owner friends, um, it's just a couple of things. Is, and I know nothing about the audience that will be listening to this, but I, I want you to think about this. If you're selling a product or a service that is bought one time, that means when your client's done paying you for the thing they're going to buy one time, you're unemployed again. You need to go back to work and go find another client to pay you one time. So no matter what your product or service is, I suggest one of two things. Find a way to turn that product or service into something that could be purchased or paid for in a recurring basis every single year or every single month forever. And if you think you can't do that with your product or your service, find a complementing product that goes along with your business line currently that can be sold in a recurring fashion. And I want to share with you why. This is what happened to us. When we first began, um, I think I mentioned our target schools were small co- small colleges and universities. And all we offered was back-end processing of financial aid. We didn't do anything else. We provided no staffing support to you. We provided no student engagement support, no compliance support. We just did back-end processing of files. And when we did that, our average transaction per customer per year was right around $7,000 per year. The good news is when we signed them up for a one-year contract, we broke the payments down into monthly installments. And at the end of the one year, if both the client and us were happy, the the account renewed again for another year. So we had residual income. It was just little per, per customer. Well, over the course of time, we started to ask our customers or they started to ask us if we could provide additional support. So we we found a way to do staffing for our schools who don't normally outsource or don't want to outsource everything. So they have a director, but they have, they have us for back end, but all of a sudden their director resigns. They asked us to fill in for a short time or a longer period of time. So we built these other products. So interim staffing, director level support, call center or student advising support. And again, we didn't know how big the market was, but it, what happened is we took our average revenue from 7,000 a client to now it's 67,000 per year per client. And remember, they're all one-year client contracts that are paid monthly that auto-renew every 12 months. And our retention rate or renewal rate is close to 96% year over year. So whatever product or service you have, if you can sell it once and they buy it forever, residual income stream builds and builds and builds and builds from there. And that becomes marketable. It becomes valuable. When we started our company, honestly, we had no idea we were building something of value from an equity perspective. We were trying to build something that just provided us an income. Us just give us a paycheck. Please, let us pay our bills. Yeah. So that's what happened. So you don't have to go to a loan shark, a legal right. loan shark, but a loan shark. So that we didn't have to grocery shop at our in-law's house. Yeah. I, I love, Brenda, that you clarified because he said yeah. loan shark. And you're like, legal. I'm like, well, yeah. it's still a loan shark. Yeah. So anyway, so that we did. And anyway, this residual income base now is every day we wake up, we already know for the year we have 5 million coming in. So that pays our bills. It leaves a nice profit. We're good, but we want to grow. We want to get better. We want to get bigger and do nicer things. But what we didn't realize while we were trying to earn our paycheck is we were building something of equitable value. And over the course of now, I think the past two years, we've been approached by three different firms looking to acquire us. Um, and we have been uninterested each time, even though the number was 
interesting, yeah. like really interesting because we didn't even, it was very humbling because we had, no, again, we weren't trying to build something of value. We just were by default because of the recurring income model that we built. And, uh, you know, the, it's now worth a lot, uh, a lot more than we thought. And, you know, we're in the midst of a potential acquisition of a competitor, which will double our market share and more than double our profit as well. So, um, again, for the business owners out there, if you have a product you sell one time, one time only, when that client's done paying, you're unemployed, you need to go find more work, find a way, find a product, find a way to add something to your mix that gives you a residual recurring income stream. You will be so glad you did. I absolutely promise you that. And, that's and, and you did that by paying attention to what the customers were asking, what your clients were asking for. By simply paying attention to what your clients are asking for, you can add those additional uh, services, which generate more value generate more exactly. value in, in many exactly. ways, not just, pro, not just monetarily, right? There's mm -hmm. so much more value intact there. It's this, I mean, God, it goes so much deeper. The money's there as a result of the services. Yeah. If in our, in our to be continued session, if we get into that, mainly again, for our kind of our, our college friends out there, college university yeah. friends out there, there's much more to talk about the solutions to these issues that I know you're facing. That would actually be, you'd be amazed to see the, how the solutions really work and how that you, you actually can afford them. Really well, can. and that's what I want to bring back because I, we, mm -hmm. there's more going on here, guys. This is just the tip of the iceberg, just the tip. And for you to open up the avenue for other colleges to be of service and to highlight their gifts, which is educating students mm -hmm. because you guys do the behind the scenes for them. It's a match made in heaven. Hence yeah. why it's been so good for everybody, right? And for you to open up the your playbook to just some of those solutions, even on air, where it gives you the ability, because sometimes people need to hear before they take any action. So, of course, let's be back and chat about that. Brenda, mm -hmm. please, some words of wisdom from you, because your, your well of wisdom is deep. <laughs> words of wisdom. Hmm. Um. I guess I would say to people, I mean, especially if we're talking with uh, entrepreneurs, I I think, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, find yourself a great artist. And if you're a great artist, find yourself a good entrepreneur, whether it's, you know, a relationship like ours or if it's just, you know, a relationship where you find someone, um, you know, to work in your business because it's made a huge difference. I mean, he actually laughs at me now saying he's converted me to some entrepreneurism, right? And I can speak financial aid. Yeah, yeah. So we've like converted each other. Um, but I do think that that's so important because I would have never done that had I not had Rob in my life because I would just keep working. I mean, I'd be at some great university with some great job, I'm sure. Um, but it wouldn't be as fulfilling, and we wouldn't be providing you know 85 people with with jobs, um, with good paying jobs, and you know a good culture, and working from home. You know, when all the co everything happened with COVID. Like our team was already at home working from home for the last nine years. So it, our, our clients didn't, our staff didn't miss a beat. Our clients, you know, had the same service they'd always had while everybody else was struggling. Um, so I do feel like, um, you know, find, find yourself a good, a good partner. Um, I know you're supposed to have a manager too. I guess we do actually now. You hired I hired a manager. <laughs> um, so that would be my first thing. And my, and my second thing would be, um, uh, just remember that you're always three feet from gold, right? And people usually stop right before they get it. And I will tell you that for us, that has happened to us, I don't know how many times, 
where we were always all in and we should have stopped if everyone else was telling us it's not going to work and everyone's telling us the worst idea ever and everyone's telling us we should I should just go back to work because we weren't making any money. And at the end of the day, um, it worked out far better than um, we could have ever imagined. Um, and we will be leaving a legacy for our family, um, you know, that goes on for generations. And we wouldn't be even close to that if we had listened to anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I guess the point is when you're all in, be all in. Don't like put your toe in and then decide it's too hot or too cold. It's, you know, it's always going to be one or the other. It's never going to be perfect. But if you just keep striving forward, you know, I don't know. What does uh, Tony say? He talks about that threat, uh, the circle of threshold or the circle of the circle of threshold. And where there's a threshold and you kind of like break through the first one and, you know, then you never go back and you break through the mm-hmm. second one and you have, you know, issues and problems there and you learn again and you break through again. And I really feel like that's where people miss out. We, we stop uh, before we should. Yeah. That's and, my. And it's also easier for, for anybody out there who's a small business owner. It's actually, and you might be struggling and you're overwhelmed. It's actually easier to run a big company than it is a small one. Yeah. So your Amen life. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen. Let's call this a wrap. Here's what I'm going to say. I promise y'all are going to be back because your story is just getting bigger so that people, because I know you're growing. How do people get a hold of you? If there's someone out there right now in financial aid that kind of likes what they're doing, but doesn't love what they're doing because it's not the right culture for them, or it's not the full opportunity being expressed to them, or they felt stymied, or it's a college out there that goes, I need to know more because we want to take in more students and we can do that with your back end support. How do people get a hold of you? Where do they find you? How do they reach you? Please broadcast where to reach you. Cause otherwise I'm going to give it away. Yeah. Yeah. There's two different ways. I mean, obviously there's many different ways to reach us, but the easiest I think to discuss here is you can email our talent department. It's F as in financial, A as in aid talent. So F a talent at get F a G E T F a solutions.com. So FA talent at get FA solutions.com. Or you can visit our website um, where there's all kinds of information, not only about our products and services and a wealth of information about regulatory changes and federal updates and things like that, that you may want to just kind of plug into as a resource because we update that every single month as the federal department of education updates their rules. And that is www.get fasolutions.com so www.getfasolutions.com getfasolutions.com yeah and then mm-hmm. for the client that's actually the fa talent is really if someone's looking uh, for positions that we have open mm-hmm. um but again they can email they can email rob personally if they're a college looking for additional information yeah but my email address is so long i don't dare put it here <laughs> but from my from the website all of my information that's is right true. there Perfect. They'll be able to click on the website and get to your email anyway. So let's call it a wrap today. You guys have been great. I know that there's more to come. I'm excited. We're just starting to uh, open up your playbooks because there's a lot deeper playbooks there. You guys heard Brenda today. I mean, geez, she's only highlighted what she can do. And she's talking about hiring managers. She was hiring managers before she even stepped out of the artist position because she was telling the colleges what to do. So she has a very deep, deep, deep entrepreneurial spirit, you were able to pull that equally faster from her because that's the space you live in. And she was able to invite you into her world also, which is why you guys flourish together because magic only happens when two things come together 
If it's one, it never happens fully. It's when two or more things come together. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And I promise let's be back because I can't wait to share more of your story that I know is unfolding right now. And I'm confident you guys will because you need to grow your company. And your only way to grow your company is by adding the team players that are at the same value set and the culture set and everything else. So with that, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm confident we will be back again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Game Changing Podcast with your host, Anissa Acker. If today's episode has you stirred up with a fire in your belly, take action by subscribing and sharing this episode with a friend. And in the words of Rhonda Byrne, when we open our minds to the unlimited creative power, we call forth abundance and see and experience a whole new world. Go change the game.